Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of First Samuel and chapter number four. The book of First Samuel and chapter number four. And as we're finishing up this series, we're examining the lives of two contemporary men, two contemporary judges, Samson and Samuel. And we've already watched the parallels of their life as they as before they were born, they were both announced. Both of them were given to the Lord. Both of them were going to have a lifelong vow of the Nazarite given unto them, where they were going to be separated unto the Lord for all of their life. We also watched as Samuel was specifically called by the Lord to be not only a judge, but a prophet. And he was someone who didn't let the word of God fall to the ground. And he was known through Dan and Beersheba as a prophet, as someone who heard from God and was able to deliver God's word. Meanwhile, Samson has started his exploits. That Samson has been used by the Spirit of God to go to one place to another, but now God has arranged it so there is animosity, so there is a reason of conflict between Samson and the Philistines. And we've already watched this morning, as we examine a little bit of Samson's life, as he has already begun a, a, a military campaign even though it's more personable and his emotions are involved, but God is using his occasion, and some of the Philistines have already been killed. Now with Samson running wild and doing uh, different things on the Philistines, and Samuel preaching the word of God, Israel is finally stirred up, and they are now ready to face and to stand off and to stand up to the Philistines who have oppressed them for many Many years. Now let's watch as things start to cumulate together in the book of First Samuel, chapter number four. First Samuel, chapter four, and notice with me in verse number one. First Samuel, chapter four, and verse one, the word of God says this. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew the <coughs> slew of the army in the field, about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh unto us, it may save us out of the hands of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that might bring from thence the Ark of the Covenant from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came out into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. 
And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a great very great slaughter, and there fell about Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army, and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent, and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching. For his heart trembleth for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim, and he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons also, Hopni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass, when he made mention of the ark of God, that he fell off from the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck brake, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy, and he judged Israel forty years. And his daughter-in-law, Phinehas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered, and when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her, hus that her father in law and that her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for pains came upon her. And it came the time of her death that the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory of is departed from Israel because the ark of God is taken because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is mentioned twice in the last two verses here that sums up this horrible time here where it says the glory is departed from Israel. In verse number 21, so in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21, it says the glory of the glory is departed from Israel. Once again, in verse number 22, the glory is departed from Israel. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to preach this. And if you wanted to put the name of it, Ichabod, Ichabod literally means the glory of the Lord is departed. The glory is departed. So Ichabod, the glory is departed. From Israel. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you that you are the God who loves us so much. You're the God who wants to be ever present in our life. 
And Lord, as we come up to you today, I'm just asking that we would learn and glean from this passage here. That we would not only see the history, but we would see what you're trying to get across here as well. I'm thankful that you're a God who's always in control. And Lord, as we come up to you now, I beg for your help. I am so much in desperate need of your presence, of your spirit, of your strength, of your mind. Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm asking, Lord, for these folks' sakes and for your glory's sake that you would fill me with your spirit. That you would get your own work accomplished. That you would clear my mind. That you would lift it up. And that you would work. And that you would just, once again, draw people close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, remember the book of 1 Samuel, the very first part of it is at the tail end of the period of the judges. And the period of the judges is a time of mass confusion. This is a time where people are not right with God and they come to God with their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own opinions about how things should be done rather than depending upon the word of God. And as we come here, we can see once again this period of the judges where we have... A horrible situation that is caused mostly because man came up with an idea and they didn't follow what God originally told them. So as we approach this, the first thing I'd like to show you is faith in the ark. Faith in the ark. Now remember, as I explained in the uh, introduction, that Samuel has been preaching. Samson has been conquering. And so the people have been stirred up. And finally they get enough bravery. They get enough backbone. That they are going to stand against the Philistines. And so round one begins. As they stand. The Israelites go and they encamp. Into a place called Ebenezer. Meanwhile across the valley. They have the, the Philistines. Who line up and make camp in Apic. And so what happens, round one ha occurs, they have the Israelites going to take the battle to the Philistines, but it doesn't go that well. Let's see what the Bible says, starting at verse number one. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, that means the people are stirred up. Samuel's preaching. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Apic. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew out the army of the field, about 4,000 men. So round one happens. The Israelites come. The Philistines come. And this battle, the Israelites lost 4,000 men. They go back into their camp and they got a little bit of discouragement. Man, I thought we were supposed to go out. I thought we were supposed to take it. Oh, we heard the preaching going on and it stirred us up and we went out to battle. And how come it didn't work? How come, how come it didn't happen the way it should? We got to think of a plan, new plan, guys. What are we going to do? How are we going to get God to be on our side? Verse number three. And when the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? So they examined themselves and they said, Why did we lose? Why did God allow us to have 4,000 die? Why is it that this thing happened? What happened? What was the plan? What, where did we go wrong? Then someone came up with an idea. Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it... Notice that word, it. When it cometh among us, 
it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. Now, if you remember, the Ark of the Covenant was part of the tabernacle setup. Remember the tabernacle, the teaching of the tabernacle is one of the most important teachings in the Bible. There are more passages on the tabernacle and temple than any other subject in the Bible. So remember, we must place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. If God puts so much emphasis on the tabernacle, every Christian, every Bible believer needs to know about the tabernacle because God said it's important. So what is the tabernacle? Well, the tabernacle was the place that God set up to allow the people to meet with him. And when you first come to the tabernacle, the first piece of furniture you would come to would be the brazen altar. And what would happen is that the people would take their offerings, their sacrifices, and they would bring it to the priest. And the priest would offer those sacrifices unto the brazen altar. Now, the people were not allowed to go beyond the brazen altar, but the rest of the tabernacle was where the priest would work. So the priest would bring uh, offerings to the brazen altar. By the way, the brazen altar was all a picture of Jesus Christ. Everything was a picture of Jesus Christ. The brazen altar teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That in order to have forgiveness of our sins, that blood must be shed. And Jesus is the Lamb of God shed from the foundation of the world. After that, the priest would go from the, um, the brazen altar and they would turn to the next piece of furniture that's still in the courtyard. And that would be the brazen laver that basically it looks sort of like a bird feeder or a, a bird bath place that what would happen? The priest would wash their hands there from the muck and the, uh, from everything they did from the sacrifices before they would go into the actual tabernacle itself. They would have to wash their hands. Why is that? Because even though we may be saved, we still deal with sin. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That even though you may be saved, we still need to keep keep taking baths. We still need a shower. We still need to be cleaned. And that's, we have to keep, continue to confess our sins. And of course we do that because of Jesus Christ. So we have the brazen altar, which shows the shed blood of Jesus Christ. After that, we have the brazen labor, which allows us to be cleansed. Even though we may be washed in the blood, we still need to be cleansed. After that, you would walk into the tabernacle itself. And the tabernacle, the first part was called the holies. And it would have three pieces of furniture within the holies. Over here, you would have the uh, table of showbread where Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. Over here, you would have the golden candlestick. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Beyond here, you would have the altar of incense, which represented the prayers that went up towards the Lord. You see, all of this pictures Jesus. What is Jesus doing right now? Well, remember, Jesus died He on the cross. He rose again the third day and then he ascended to heaven. Jesus is in the right hand of the Father, making intercession between you and me right now. What is Jesus doing for you right now? He's praying for you. Think about that. Jesus is praying for you right now. He's making the intercession for you. Now, beyond the table or altar of incense is a big, huge veil. And beyond the veil was the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, you had the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was supposed to represent the presence of God. 
Now, it was not the presence of God. It was to represent the presence of God. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant, it had the Ten Commandments. It had uh, Aaron's rod. It had some other things into it. But only one person was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And that was the high priest. And that was once a year. Part of the priest garments he had, of course, he would have the ephod, which was a special priestly garment that we had. Then he would have the flowing robes. And at the end of the robes, he would have little bells. Little bells were to let the people, it was a practical thing, to let the people know that when the priest went behind the veil, that he was still alive. You see, anyone who went beyond that veil into the Holy of Holies and was not clean and was not right before God, God could kill him. And so, if as long as the bells were moving, you knew the guy was alive. But if you stopped hearing the bells and God killed him, that was a problem because, again, no one could go by, beyond the veil. So the priest would also have a rope tied to his leg. So when he went in there, as long as the bells were moving, you knew he was alive. But if he dropped dead, you couldn't go in there and retrieve him. So you had to take the rope and rag him, drag him out. But remember, what is the high priest doing? The high priest goes in there beyond uh, with blood and he spends time making intercession for the people before God. Now, we no longer need the high priest because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest. That we no longer need a man to make intercession for us. We could go straight to Jesus and he goes to God. That he is our high priest. But all of this pictures Jesus. Now, of course, the veil was to represent there was a separation between us and God. But when Jesus died, you know what happened to that veil? Which is a hand breath thick, by the way, that means it's this thick. Those are pretty thick curtains. Literally, they were ripped from bottom to top when Jesus died, showing that we now have access to God. This is just a little mini study. If you want to know more, we can give you more information. But the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to represent the presence of the Lord. And there were rules for carrying it. No one could touch the Ark of the Covenant itself. God would kill them for it. We see that later on in David's lifetime. And... They could only move the Ark of the Covenant when God told them to move it. And when they moved the Ark of the Covenant, they would pack up the entire uh, tabernacle and they would transport it with it. Well, what happened is that these guys got the big idea. You know what? If we get the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, it, not the person of God, the Ark of the Covenant will help us. The Ark of the Covenant will save us. You see, what they're doing is they're putting stock, they're putting superstition, they're putting faith and trust in an object rather than a person. You know, we do that today, or people do that today. One of the reasons why pastor does not like crosses is because, first of all, in the Bible, cross was always a bad thing. Jesus, when he died on the cross, that was a horrible thing. It was always a symbol of suffering and shame. That when you saw someone going to the cross, you knew they weren't coming back. It was always used. People weren't bragging about the cross back then the way that we use it today. Uh, the cross was always a bad symbol. It was remembering that Jesus died for our sins. And that's where people were put up. It was a form of punishment, a form of execution in the Roman days. But today, people started putting supernatural powers into a cross. They use it as their good luck charm. Oh, if I have the cross of Jesus. Yes, he's with me. 
And, and I could prove it too. If I had a wooden cross and I broke it across my knee, most people in here would go, <gasps> and expect thundering and lightning and whatever else. You know, an object can't do anything. We are superstitious people, and a lot of people put stock in crosses and symbols and whatever else. And the Bible in the, in the commandments specifically say, don't have symbols. It says, thou shall not have any graven image or any likeness of heaven or, an, or, or anything. The Bible's very clear. That's why we don't like pictures of Jesus. Because it puts the emphasis on his humanity to the neglect of his divinity. We put an emphasis on Jesus being human rather than him being God. If we get an image in our mind, it gets things stuck. Well, the same thing with crosses and other symbols. That what happens is that people put so much emphasis on the symbol. That what happens is they start saying... If I have this golden chain with this golden cross, oh, it's God's presence on me. Just because you have a trinket doesn't mean God's with you. And we laugh, but you know what happens? Many people love the symbols and they do believe that it brings the presence of God. You want to know what brings the presence of God? Spending time with God, being with him, reading your Bible and praying. You cannot substitute reading your Bible and praying by a trinket. Does it make sense? Some people say, I want God to be with me. And instead of praying, instead of seeking God's face, instead of being in the Bible, they get a good luck charm. And they expect that good luck charm to bring God's power, God's presence, God's good fortune and whatever else. That's exactly what these folks did here. As they put more faith in an object rather than them going to the Lord himself. Notice what their idea was. Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant and bring it out to us and it will save us. No time did they say, you know what? Maybe we should fast and pray and see if God will be with us. You see, they neglected to talk with God and they took the shortcut and thought they would bring an object that was supposed to represent God's presence. But it wasn't God's presence. Only God's presence is God's presence. So they bring it out. So they said, yes, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, which is the location of the tabernacle. And they go into the holies. They go into the holy of holies. They take out the Ark of the Covenant. Bring it out of the tabernacle. Leave the tabernacle there. And they bring it to the camp. Now notice who, what is all with this. Verse number four. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the Ark of the Covenant out of the Lord of hosts. Which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas. You remember those guys? These guys were not good guys. They are not saved. So, of course, this isn't helping out. But the two priests who are hauling this thing, by the way, they weren't even authorized to haul this thing according to the Bible. Again, they disrupted so many laws. But Hophni and Phinehas, who are not saved, who do not believe in God, bring out the Ark of the Covenant, and they're there to make sure that nothing happens to it. This is not a good setup. This is not good at all. And so they brought the Ark of the Covenant out. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the camp, 
all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. Now the people see the Ark of the Covenant and they're all excited. Yay! Yay! This will save us. It will save us. The Philistines can't beat us now. We have the Ark of the Covenant. Oddly enough, if you don't mind, I love history. You know Adolf Hitler looked for the Ark of the Covenant because he honestly believed it would give him power to win? He looked for all those trinkets. I have several books in my library where he sent uh, expeditions to India to look among the Hindu uh, ruins, to look for any kind of artifact of power to help the Nazis win. He believed in all of this stuff. Some of you may laugh about Indiana Jones, but that was based off of a principle. He was looking for it. He honestly believed that was going to help him win. And we look at a movie like that, we laugh, but... That's exactly what these people are doing. They have the Ark of the Covenant and the people are cheering. Yay, we're going to win the war because we have this artifact that has magical powers, that has this ability to go. And they bypass the person of God altogether for a trinket for something that doesn't have true power. But the people are excited. They're all rallied up. How can we lose now? How can we lose? We have this mighty artifact. We can defeat whole armies. And they're shouting. So we see, first of all, the faith in the ark. After that, we have see that the fighting stirred in the Philistines. The fighting is stirred in the Philistines. Verse number six. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, now they're shouting so much that they could hear the shouts from the other side of the valley. And the Philistines start saying, what's the meaning of this? What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. So they said, what is it? And their spies reported back. They got the ark of the covenant, the ark of God. It's there in the camp. And the Philistines started going, uh-oh. Now they're afraid of an artifact as well. So notice this, verse 7, and the Philistines were afraid and they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, woe is us. Remember that Bible word woe means cursed. We're cursed. We're cursed. For there has not been such a thing here too. The Philistines said, hey, we were fine fighting the, uh, the little miserable Israelites and the Hebrews. We had no problems beating them. But oh, they cheated. They got their gods involved. What are we going to do now? It would have been nice if the Israelites got their gods involved, but instead they got an artifact. They got a trinket. They got a box. And so I'm not making little light of the Ark of the Covenant. That's an important thing, but it was not God. And so verse um, 8, Woe unto us! Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? No, 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 so the gods plural. They still have a misnomer that there's only one true God. But these are the gods that smote the Egyptians with the plagues in the wilderness. They're going back and said, they remember these plagues? It was their gods that did that. Oh, no, they cheated. They got their gods involved. Now, notice what they do. They get them calm and said, all right, guys, this is what we're going to be strong. Quit yourselves like men. That word quit here doesn't mean to quit. It means actually to behave, act yourself like a man. Come on, man up, guys. We're going to show them who's right. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. 
Come on, guys, man up. We're going to go attack them now. So instead of waiting for the Israelites to come to them, the Philistines took off and went and attacked the camp uh, while they weren't ready for it. Verse number 10, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man to his camp, for there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000. You thought 4,000 was bad. Now uh, 30,000 were killed. Why? Because they put their faith in a trinket rather than God. It says in Psalms that some trust in chariots, but we put our faith in the Lord our God. What is it that you put your faith and trust in? Is it actually in God himself or is it a ritual? Is it a prayer? Is it an idol? Is it a trinket? Is it a cross? Is it your good luck, lucky rabbit's foot? What is it? Your lucky dice. What is it that you say, oh man, this is what gives me good luck. We believe in a great God. What is it that you put your faith and your trust in? Notice as we go on here. Verse number 11. And the ark of God was taken. Now, if it couldn't get any worse, the Philistines took the Ark of God. Now, this is supposed to represent the presence of God. It's supposed to be this thing that's supposed to be in the tabernacle, and they take it. It's gone. Imagine how demoralizing that is, that this thing that's supposed to represent the presence of God is now taken. The Philistines, the enemies have it. Now, what hope do you have? The thing you were trusting in, you know what? God did this on purpose. He wanted to get their eyes off of an object and onto himself. It's because they put their faith in an object they lost. It's because they put it. He said, I'm going to take it away. By the way, in the next chapter, we'll talk about Wednesday. God can take care of his own stuff. And we're going to watch that. The Israelites didn't do a single thing in the next two chapters. God took care of his own stuff. And he brought the Ark of the Covenant home himself without any Israelite help. If you want to read ahead, that's an amazing story. But God could take care of his own stuff. <clears throat> now, notice, not only was the ark of God taken, the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, were slain. By the way, that's exactly what God had told Eli twice. Because you won't correct your children because you love me, or you love your kids more than you love me. His kids were Eli's idols. He said, I'm going to kill them both. Just to let you know that I'm going to stop your priestly line. And sure enough, just like it was predicted, it happened. Both of them died the same day. What a horrible situation we're in. So we started off with faith in the, in the ark. Then we see the fighting stirred in the Philistines. Now let's go to the fretting of Israel. The fretting of Israel. Notice in verse 12. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with his earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And rightfully so. Eli's sitting back at Shiloh and he's waiting. He's an old man. And his heart is in fretting. His heart is messed up because of the ark of God. He knew it shouldn't have left. He knew it should have stayed where it is. And he's worried what's going to happen to the ark of God. I messed up big time. I let the boys take it. I'm in trouble now. What's going to happen? He's upset. His heart's all messed up because he knows. You ever have that thing where you do something wrong and you have that that pit in your stomach? 
and it just turning. I could just imagine he's already an old man in poor health and that pits in there. He's not resting well. He's oh, he knows he messed up and there's not that helplessness where the consequences are coming and you know it's your fault. And when the man came into the city and told it, the city cried out. Now, he hasn't got to Eli yet. He comes to Shiloh and says, the ark is gone, the ark is gone, the ark is gone. And the whole city cries out, verse 14. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, what is the meaning of the noise of this tumult? And the men came in hastily and told Eli. Now, Eli was 90 and 8 years old. That's a pretty old guy, especially back then. And his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he that came out of the army and I fled today out of the army. And he said, what is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel's fled before the Philistines. And there hath also been a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hopni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God is taken. What horrible news to hear. His two boys are dead. He was already told that was going to happen. But his two boys are dead. Now the Ark of the Covenant, which he is responsible for. He was in charge. It was his job to watch over it, to service it, to protect it. It's gone. So what happens to Eli? It came to pass that when he made mention of the Ark of God, that he, Eli, fell off the seat backward under the side of the gate, and his neck brake, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. And he judged Israel 40 years. So he heard the bad news. Eli fell back from his chair Landed on his neck awkwardly and died. Now they lost their high priest as well. What a horrible day. Now the news travels from Eli to Phineas's wife. Verse 19. And his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed for pains, her pains came upon her. So here's Phineas. She's, she's ready to have his baby. And all of a sudden she hears the ark is gone. Her father-in-law, the high priest, is gone. Her husband's gone. That caused such an uh, uh, attack on her that all of a sudden she started going in labor. And it was not an easy labor. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. The word Ichabod literally means the glory is departed. She said, you want to name my kid something? Name him Ichabod. This is the worst day ever. Ichabod, the glory is departed. Because the ark of God was taken and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. And by the way, when she's done with this, she dies. So here's poor little Ichabod all by himself. His birthday was not a day of celebrating. Ichabod, the glory is departed. Why? Well, how did they get here? How did they get to the place where they say God's presence is gone from us? Well, the God's presence was probably gone. They just didn't realize it because they didn't seek him. They didn't seek him. Let me repeat something I said earlier. There is no substitute for Bible reading and prayer. Absolutely none. If you want God's presence. You must seek God. 
You don't get it from your lucky coin. You don't get it from a trinket. You don't get it from necessarily going to church. You get it from your own walk with God. There is no substitute. There is no substitute. You know why churches sometimes have Ichabod written over it? God doesn't show up in their services. And by the way, they don't even miss him. They don't even realize he's gone. Why? Because they don't search for him. The Bible says over and over, seek me and you shall find me. Over and over and over and over. That phraseology is used in the Bible. Seek me early and I will be found. Seek me and you shall find me. Seek me, seek me. It's found through the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. That if you seek for God, guess what? He will be found. When people say, where is God? It's because they're not seeking for him. Or at least not the way that they're asking for. They're not in their Bibles. And they're not in prayer. They're not looking for God. You know, someone could say, well, my Bible reading is so dry. I read it and it's just words on the page. You want me to tell you why? Because you're not seeking after God. If you would open up and say, before I open my Bible, Lord, help me to learn something from you. Help me to find you. Guess what? He'll show up. Somebody says, my prayers just seem to bounce off the ceilings. I'm praying. Why isn't it working? Because probably you're talking at God rather than talking with God. You know, there is a difference. When's the last time you got in a conversation with God? You asked him about his day. You said, what's on your heart? To talk with God. There is a difference. You see, there is no substitute between Reading your Bible and prayer. There is no substitute for the presence of God. You ever wonder why some of the churches do what they do? Why do they have the rock bands? Why do they have the entertainment? Why do they have the other stuff? Because someone realized God's not here. And we have to do something to keep up a show so no one else figures it out. We have to get people distracted. And what they do is they put wildfire instead of the real fire. They put a strange fire. They try to do something to work it up. You can't work up God's presence. Just like we can't work up revival. We are seeking and praying for revival. You know how revival is going to come? When God's people seek his face. That's what we have to do. We look at our country now and say, our country's in a mess. And you know what we want to do? We want to do everything but look for God. We want to elect a president who we think is going to do what we want. We want to elect a Congress. We want to protest. We want to do this. But you know what the Bible says? First Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. You know why it's not happening? Because God's people are not seeking God's face. We're not looking for God. And guess what? He's not found. There's no guarantee that God will show up in a service. But you know what? If we ask him, he will. You ever been to a service, even if it's a Baptist church, that is so dry and dusty and God's not there? 
Why is it? Because they're not seeking God's face. They're not looking for him. They don't have any desire and they don't even know he's gone. What am I trying to get out of this? There is no substitute for prayer and Bible reading. There is no substitute for seeking God. There is no trinkets. There's no magic show. There's no whatever else. We could distract people from the truth. But the truth is, is that we don't have God's presence if we're not seeking for him. It doesn't matter what object you have. We understand that our Roman Catholic friends, they love trinkets. They have the shroud of Jesus where supposedly they found the wrappings of, of Jesus's, uh when he was in the tomb. And it has Jesus' face in there. By the way, it's not true. But they said, oh, look at this. It's the shroud of Jesus. You could get lots of power from it. How many stories have we heard where... Where Mary's face was found in a tortilla chip. And everyone wants to go get a piece of the tortilla chip. And we laugh at this stuff. But they take it seriously. Why? Because they like the trinkets. They like the superstition. Because it's much easier than reading your Bible and praying. Reading our Bible and praying. You know you can have God's presence in your life. And you don't have to go to the jewelry store at all. You need just to read your Bible and pray. You know that we can have revival. You know how it's going to happen? If we read our Bible and we pray and we seek for God's face. Why did Pastor the crazy pastor have a prayer vigil yesterday? Because I'm trying to get us to seek God. I'm trying to get us to show it to get with him. And by the way, many of you have said God showed up when you guys were here. There was something about it. Why? Because God makes it easy. Any of us can have God's presence. Any of us can have God with us. Walking with us and being with us. If we search for him. How do we do that? Bible reading and praying. Not just dry Bible reading. Not just empty praying. But seeking after God. Talking with him. The most important thing a Christian can do on a daily basis is to read their Bible. There is no shortcut. There is no substitute for seeking after God in Bible reading and prayer. So with all that said, let me ask you a couple questions. How is your Bible reading? How is your prayer life? If I could ante that up, does God show up to your Bible reading? Does God show to your prayer life? You know, if you're driving down the road and you're distracted trying to play Frogger, you're probably not really getting a hold of God that well. That's why Jesus says, go into your closet and shut to the door. Does that mean the only way you can get a hold of God is in your closet? No. What he's trying to say is get rid of the distractions. Many of us are not strong enough to get a hold of God's presence with Facebook open right beside us. Right? What God says get rid of the distractions so you could pay attention to him. God wants to be found. God wants to be found. He just wants us to put forth the effort to look for him. So how is your Bible reading? How is your prayer life? 
does God show up when you read the Bible? Does God show up when you pray? Not because of your lucky charms that's right next to you. Not because of the little trinket that you're holding or the rosary beads. It's God. Does he show up because you're looking for him? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.